1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 65 of Histories of the Unexpected, in which we demonstrate that everything, and I mean simply everything if you haven't got the message yet, Please listen. Everything in the whole world has a history, doesn't it, James? It has a significant
0: story to tell. Like chimneys, the parrots, or hay. Or for me, it's the kneel, the squeal, and the peel. It's God, the sod, and the pod. Or
1: the hod, the pod, and the plod. If you can't guess from all of James's many examples to my three, he writes this bit of the introduction, um, which is fascinating. But um, what's the history of
0: hay all about, James? The history of hay. Ah, you'll have to wait for that exciting podcast. It's probably about warmth, isn't it? It's all about love, romance and the hay cart. Sounds amazing. It will be. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of the mirror is all about political advice, bad luck and the discovery of the self? And the graffiti is about Mary Queen of Scots, the Civil War and prisons.
1: I came across some wonderful historical graffiti on a a dog walk the other day. Did you? Um... Near, there's a big National Trust house called Killerton. Oh,
0: I love Um, Killerton.
1: uh, I've just got to ask my dog to sit down. He's being really annoying.
0: Momo, sit down. Mo, take your badger over there. We're cleverly
1: recording in the shed with my spaniel. And we have a train. (laughs) We do. We're in my shed, so we've got a train coming past the end of the garden. Anyway, I was walking the dog... at Killerson House, and there's an amazingly massive old tree where people have been carving their yep. names into it and dates. And it's a fascinating thing, and the, um, the bark's all kind of changed and grown. Um, so there's, there's not just a history of graffiti. We've done a podcast on the history of graffiti, we and have. it was one of my favourites. Yes. But there's a history of tree graffiti, which um, I'm really interested in. Anyway, the man sitting opposite me, this is a really good one, really. The man okay. sitting opposite me is the time minister of the yesterday party. <laughs> It's <laughs> Professor Extraordinaire of early modern British history at Plymouth University. It's James Davell. Hello, James.
0: Hello, Sam. And I have so many to choose from here. And the person sitting opposite me is the beadsman of bookends. It is the famous historical adventurer, the truly wonderful Dr Sam Willis. It's not as good as the time minister. I don't know. Seeing you as a beadsman is is, mm. is is quite good. So um, the
1: very good beadsman. The uh, the scrabbling is my dog who I'm going to have to kick out in a minute. Uh, he's having a nice time with his badger though. And today we are doing it. We're following up the Christmas theme, aren't we? We certainly are. And um, because we're going to do the truly amazing history of snow, which we are. you just, I love it. It's all to do with tattoos, DNA, bacchanalian excess, the Boston Massacre, cruelty to cats, and various other things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's brilliant. I mean, it's fa- It's absolutely fascinating, um, and I think looking at how snow has different meanings across time, across cultures, across continents, I think is is really interesting. And I think it's snow itself is contradictory. You know, the, it it's fun, it's exciting, it's beautiful, but at the same time, it is it's menacing it removes heat and light it can bury things it can block roads it can it can create fun because it's snow days so when it snows the school closes down there are cultures that are incredibly good at dealing with snow um i remember living in america uh and just in, in i lived in michigan for 3 years and basically didn't see didn't see grass for 4 months but the local authorities, uh, airports were so good at dealing with the snow just so that people could move around. Unlike here in the UK where you get a sort of slight flurry of snow as we've had recently and the country just comes to a a complete standstill. Although we haven't had snow in Devon, uh, much to the disappointment of my six-year-old who has never seen snow. But in Michigan, I mean, it was incredible at the airport an an aircraft would land and then these trucks would come out and they would hose down the aeroplane with antifreeze so that it could then just take off again, Mm. so geared up. There's something historical about that,
1: though, isn't there? It's not just now... in different geographical parts of the world. There are are places that are geared up for snow. There are not. You get countries like ours, who you'd say that are basically are not geared up for snow at all, but in the past, they might well have been. And it's something that changes. So not only does snow have a history which we're going to explore, but the whole business of being prepared for snow in one single location has a history. And I think the the idea... What's always fascinated me with the the history of snow is this one of climate and, and, and how you... Take it for granted. Yeah. It's something we're kind of keyed in to, to, to not take it for granted. Yeah. But um, you do. And I remember my, my granny, so she's dead now, but Patricia Willis, she was born in 1921. And she would talk about ice skating in Hertfordshire yeah. on a lake. Yeah. Um, in the park where Verulamium, the old um, Roman city of Verulamium, is in St Albans. So just, yeah. just down yeah. from the abbey there, if you know it, very beautiful. kind a of flat spot in a lake there. Anyway, she, used to, she and her mates had ice skates. And they used to go ice skating regularly on this lake in Hertfordshire. And I remember as a child being kind of boggled by the fact that a lake in England would freeze hard mm. enough for... Mm-hmm adults to be happy for children to ice skate on. I mean it really is kind of it's completely yeah. and utterly alien to me. Do you do you have any kind of similar old
0: stories like that to do with well, the, I mean, the cold? I remember my own childhood, sort of born in the seventies, uh, my own childhood has a lot of snowy memories. I remember building snowmen. I remember particularly the winter of discontent, seventy eight to nine, Uh, We lived in a little seaside town called Hornsey up in Yorkshire and my father worked in Hull and he used to commute daily, he used to car share and I remember during the winter months he would travel with a shovel in his boot of the car and a thermos flask and a blanket and one night he and his friend John Kilby uh, were driving back and they got caught in the snow and had to basically dig themselves out. They managed to sort of get home, but there were loads of cars that, was just, that were just left there overnight, and when the snowplows came through in the morning, they just went straight through them. Um, so, yeah, I, re- I remember that. I remember um, in my road... This was before before... So I would have been under three, because I was two and... I was almost three when we moved to... Hornsey, so I can remember. I can I can actually date one of my earliest memories, and it is a snowball bigger than my father, that people collectively in the road in which I lived in Worksop in the Midlands, were rolling down the street. So I have yeah, I have lots of snowy memories of childhood. That's great, but that's the community coming together
1: because of snow. Yes. Mm. I have a similar beach example with the community coming together to build the, the biggest hole in the beach. Oh, as it was not a cold oh. story; it's a hot story. But everyone just kept coming down with spades and dug, or well, excavated, mm. an enormous <laughs> hole on the beach. Mm. And um, I quite like stories of um, of people coming together you, like that. Have
0: you ever seen an ice storm? Have you ever experienced an ice storm? No, one I'd of, be quite scared in an ice storm. One of I mean, once the, one, an ice storm coming down is is terrifying because it literally, as it hits the. Um, as it hits the ground, it just freezes, and it's incredibly dangerous. And I remember when I was teaching in the US, uh, my wife taught at the university I was at, and she went to a really early eight am class. The gritters hadn't been out, and she put her brakes on at a at an intersection, red light, and just then continued to slide. For a further five meters out into the middle of the road, Gosh, amazing. because it was. A, but you also look at the aftermath of an ice storm when it comes down, and in a beautiful sort of blue sky morning, it is stunning, mm. absolutely stunning. It's like the trees are just bejeweled. Mm. Um, I think the, um,
1: the, the 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 weather as as part of the history of snow is definitely an yeah. important yeah. an important thing. There are, there are all sorts of um, ways you could look at this. My the, what. Something I've been coming back to time and again in my career is the history of the Titanic. Yes. Um, and that's all to do with global iceberg, warming. Yeah. So it hits an iceberg, but yeah. now in that part of the Atlantic, there haven't been any icebergs since the late 80s, mm. which mm. is amazing. Mm. It just it wouldn't. And it probably it, is global warming. It simply wouldn't happen again. Yeah. Because it, there aren't icebergs just sort of wandering around that part of the northern Atlantic. Um, I've got a wonderful story here from um, 1975. Mm. Winter 1975. Aha, uh-huh, James. No, summer 1975. Mid-June June 1975. This is a report from the Times. Very good. Heavy snow fell over wide areas of Scotland, Snowdonia, Northern England, the East Midlands and East Anglia yesterday. The unusually cold weather was described by the Meteorological Office at Bracknell Berkshire as just one of those oddities that we have from time to time. This is June. <laughs> the London weather centre said it would appear from records that the last time sleet or snow was reported so widely during an English summer was the 11th of July 1888 and this is a bit I love snow stopped play in three county cricket matches <laughs> those at Bradford and Buxton Derbyshire were called off without a ball being bowled and the start of the one at Colchester Essex was delayed um, and there's elsewhere in um, in the press around is, is the uh, the very famous umpire Dickie Bird mm. um, he, he, he vividly remembers it and he describes it so um this is it's a wonderful description of snow falling in midsummer. Excellent. So do you I mean do you
0: take your environment for granted? Do I take my environment? <laughs> my goodness me. What a question to ask. Um, no, I think I'm very alert to my environment, my immediate sort of environment.
1: Yeah. No, I am as well and I also think to change as well. I think this is all something to do with being a historian. Yes. I think with, you know, sort of snow falling in the middle of summer or significant changes happening, um, I think that as a historian you are more able to um accept and process and understand mm. the unexpected mm. essentially so i think that if you if something happens to you in the in the environment and you you don't really know you're real surprised by it i think you should take that surprise as a warning that you haven't read enough history
0: okay i'm going to talk about Is gloves. that a bit, bit ranty no no i think I, I accept that okay i accept that but i want to talk about gloves okay. because snow comes back to gloves and doing my, um, doing my work on gloves, and we've talked about gloves in the past, um, I read a fascinating uh, bunch of uh, material about the Little Ice Age and the early modern period of which I profess history um, is basically snowbound the what, winter what months. What are we talking about? So now? we're talking roughly sort of 1550 to about 1750. Okay. So you've got a couple of centuries where historians of climate have labelled it the a, a little ice age. Right. So, you know, and so if we're thinking about what that meant, it meant very cold temperatures, harbours freezing up, um, the Thames in London froze up and you've got evidence of ice fairs. So the whole, you know, people not just ice skating on it, but actually it being big enough so that you can actually have a sort of market-type fair and trading uh, on it. We have a lot of depictions of you know, winter scenes throughout that period. Uh, And you think about what this does to travel and communication, what it does to, you know, people in mountainous villages, um, the impact on agriculture, famine, you know, what people are going to... You know, people who are on the sort of margins of society... You know how how difficult life must have been for them, and also um, people increasingly wearing gloves, which is what it's all about.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's not. That's actually interesting because it's not necessarily negative a negative thing for the economy as well. If you think no, about it. So no. at the moment we um, we both live in Exeter, and there's a lovely um, Christmas market. Yes, um, it's all changed now. It's being run by the cathedral, and what they've done is they've got loads of local shops. To sell uh, their goods and stuff. So, so good. before we, it would be a kind of an, an influx of French and Belgian and German yeah. people selling sausages and crepes. Uh, now it's
0: full of loads Which of people. Which are still there, and their sausage. the German sausages, are yeah. amazing. But it's, it's loads of people
1: from Dartmoor or wherever, you know, sort so, of no, coming down and selling their local stuff. But it's good. It's good for the. Um, it's good for the economy. Everyone's having a lovely time, and I reckon that being in the Frost Fair of sixteen, I'm going to make it up a date here, sixteen sixty three. Is that about right? Uh,
0: 1683 as 1683, well. 1683,
1: thank you very much. Yep. Um, at the frost, frost Fair of 1683, um, you'd have had local people making a bit of money, maybe selling some some vin show of the early 17th century, and it would have been quite a
0: fun thing to yep. have been around. Well, we have a description from the celebrated diarist John Evelyn. Mm. Oh, so this is um, when the Thames froze. Yeah, yeah. yeah? so it's right. when, the t- when the Thames froze. And he, he, he describes, coaches plied from Westminster to the temple and from several other stairs to and fro as in the streets, sleds sliding with skeets and a bull baiting, horse and coach races, puppet plays and interludes, cooks, tippling and other lewd places, so that it seemed to be a bacchanalian triumph or carnival on the water. Beautifully put. So you can imagine this sort of, you know, this bustling fair. Back um, Back to Exeter's Christmas Fair, the only tragedy of it, and I love it, it's brilliant, two tragedies. One, it finishes... A week or so before Christmas. Yep. And what it leaves is a, for the next three months, is a just muddy, patch. Yes. All over it. Which links very nicely to snow, because snow is all very good. So
1: it snowed in Hertfordshire a couple of days ago. My parents sent me a photo of deep and crisp and even, and it, it was like a picture postcard. And then about an hour and a half later, it looked horrific. Yep. Like half
0: sort of yep. frozen grey. Horrible. This was my experience of Michigan. Michigan, when it when you had that fresh white snow, it is beautiful. And then you know, driving along the roads, all the snow and ice is packed to either side and all the oil off the cars yeah. and it's just a black... Yeah. Because one, one of the
1: things I like about snow is this, the, 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 the nice side to it, the pretty side, the good side to the snow and then the kind of the darker and evil side to oh, it. No. It's terrible. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. terrible.
1: Um, of which, snowballing... Ah, tell us about snowballing, tell the history a, of snowballing. Well, I think you might be better equipped to tell us about snowballing but, I, you know, there are...
0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. i want to tell you about Snowmen. Are you? i want going to tell you about Snowmen, the history of Snowmen. I've been reading The History of the Snowman by Bob Eckstein, mm-hmm. uh, which is a brilliant um, uh, sort of very entertaining uh, little book. Um, and I, you know, I've been obsessed with snowmen uh, ever since uh, being a small boy. I'm obsessed with that, with Frosty the Snowman and, and Raymond Briggs's Snowman, and um, you know, and there are lots of examples, uh, as this book sort of very nicely sort of shows, of snowmen um, throughout history. But one of my favourite uh, examples is this sort of this equivalent of a of a sort of a snow fair or snow festival in Brussels in the very cold winter of 1510 to 1511, where the citizens of the city build a bewildering number of snowmen all over the city. And we know about this because of the Brussels poet, uh, John Smeken, uh who penned a ballad-length um, description of it. And <laughs> It's bewildering uh, the the sort of number of of sort of separate snowmen that they you can count about 110 individual snowmen, 50 separate scenes, um, and you can read these not just as sort of you know as a sort of fun and children sort of going out and having a bit of fun, but because they are put on by the townspeople, yeah. there is often a political Some message. social commentary. Or... There's social commentary, mm. um, and among the characters folklore figures such as the wild man, a unicorn, mermaids, uh, a sea knight. So there are lots of that are sort of religious and political and civic. And then what, what is fascinating... A sea knight? I've no idea.
1: Can someone get in touch? Tell me what a sea knight... What's that a sentence sea knight. again? A sea knight. What was it? A with? sea knight... A good, mermaid yeah, and mermaid. a sea
0: knight, a knight of the sea. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I imagine like some tridenty, yeah, thing. tridenty, right, okay, yeah, yeah, sort of thing. But what's also interesting is the sort of sexualized sculptures, yep. the sort of scatological sculptures, and um, one of the best uh, examples could be found in the Rosendale, uh part of the city, which is the red-light district of the city, which depicts a prostitute completely naked, with breasts and genitalia sculpted to attract attention, and between her legs, a dog ensconced between her legs. Wow. Um, and on the sort of more scatological uh, line, the poem describes a snow cow that delivered, and I quote, "'Turds, farts, and stinking.'" <laughs> That's and brilliant. also, also a defecating centaur. No, uh, a mannequin pea fountain. This is, after all, Brussels depicting a a small boy urinating into the mouth of a drinker, and finally a drunk drowning in his own excrement. Oh my god! Yeah, that's it's astonishing. A- Rude snowman. It's it's, inc- it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, it, I mean, it's
1: it's linked to this whole thing of um, you know, you might it's some kind of village in. Middle England somewhere where um, they make a scarecrow and it's made to look like the mayor or, yeah, exactly. or you know the chief of police exactly. or something like
0: that. So I mean, what you've got on one hand, you've got these the sort of civic, civic and religious snow people being built that have a sort of you know a particular sort of pious or sort of authoritarian image, and then you've got the sort of the you know the the reverse. You've got this kind of bacchanalian sort of um, you know sort of social release. Um, you yeah. know, people sort of getting their opinion across in. ways. isn't it wonderful? Because no, it can go. Yes. yes. You know, if they didn't see it, if it, yeah. if it
1: wasn't sketched, if it wasn't written down, there weren't people walking around taking photos. No, no. Um, that's lovely. So isn't it does. It good? It's, um, yes, it's something temporary which will just. Yeah. Y- it's You're being quite rude and you can be really quite rude because it's there for a bit but then it'll go away yeah. and, and it's like exactly. it never happens. Exactly. Ah. Are you going to tell us about snowballing or shall I tell us about snowballing? No, I'm going to start because um, I just sort of come back to a sort of military side of things Ooh. It, it's it's snowballing as an example of or a sort of watered down version of warfare so i've become quite interested yeah. in soldiers having oh, snowball fights yes. uh, first with, world
0: war did they do first world war in the first they did world war? they did
1: one and also um um uh, the american civil war there's a very good uh, example but the the british in the first world War described them as snowball matches which i think is very british a bit like cricket yeah exactly. cricket or football yeah
0: um were well, these early on in the First World War before things got too hot? Um, I don't think they they
1: minded as long right, as it was right. you know, a bit of fun. There's a really interesting um, description as well from the 1860s, which is the American Civil War. Um, there's a large-scale snowball fight taking place between Confederate troops in the winter of 1862-63. And this is from a Confederate officer um, Augustus Dickett. The troops delight in snowballing and reveled in the sport for days at a time. Many hard... Battles were fought, won, and lost. Sometimes company against company, then regiment against regiment, and sometimes brigades would be pitted against rival brigades. That's a that's a full on snowball war. Yeah, he goes yeah. on to describe a particularly competitive fight between the South Carolina regiment and the Georgians, um, which details the sort of mean treatment of combatants. And So they've got large scale snowball fight going on, and then they start taking people prisoner. Um. When some, he wrote, more bold than the rest, ventured too near, he was caught and dragged through the lines while his comrades made frantic efforts to rescue him, the poor prisoner now safely behind the lines, his fate problematical, as down in the snow he was pulled, now on his face, next on his back, then swung round and round by his heels, all the while snow being pushed down his back or in his bosom, his eyes, ears and hair, thoroughly filled, with the in quotation marks the beautiful snow, <laughs> so there's a there's a poor soldier here really struggling with the tongue in cheek beauty of the snow, and it's just a great example of soldiers, um, you know, taking this this kind of play a little bit too far. But it's part of the you know it's part of the the more well known history, I suppose, of um, of 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 soldiers playing football yes. in trenches yes. in, in the First World War. But you know here they are having fun and snowballing. Um,
0: it was a was a big thing in the army if you were around snow. Yeah. It's also about cruelty to cats. Is it? Snow, yes. It's all about cruelty to cats mm. and snowballing. Um, How does that work? Well, it works through um, Dylan Thomas, uh, since we're in sort of Christmassy mood, yeah. uh, and I'm reading through my Christmas catalogue of, of little, little books that I read uh, every, every, um, every wintertime. How Christmas, big is that Christmas, Christmas catalogue? Uh, it's about a dozen. Really, a dozen little, ti- little titles, and it's it expands all the time. But a child's Christmas in Wales. This uh, is it. This is one of them. So this, it's a, it's a, this a, is it here. This is a, this is one of them. A child's Christmas in Wales. It's, and it's illustrated. A, it's Who a, a illustrated? beautiful little illustrated by Edward Adizorne. Ah. Oh. Um. um D- Dylan Thomas is a is a is a really brilliant poet, but a real cantankerous inebriate. Uh, one of the best descriptions of Dylan Thomas. Uh, is by the wonderful historian A.J.P. Taylor. Do you remember yeah. A.J.P. Taylor? Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. Of, sort of, one of the first sort of great TV historians would stroll onto um, the set uh, and just talk completely without notes, would basically just deliver a lecture. And in his autobiography, he describes, you know, really well quite how difficult a man Dylan Thomas was. Right. Um, any of you who are interested in in Oxford... Uh, during that period in the fifties and sixties, uh, should certainly turn to um, to AJP Taylor's autobiography. He's got brilliant things to say about Magdalen College uh, and C.S. Lewis uh, in particular. A uh, Real sort of viper's nest. Anyway, in his in this in this depiction of a a child's Christmas in Wales, and it's a sort of semi autobiographical fictional thing. Um, we've got this sort of we've got the whole thing told through the eyes of, of these boys. It was on the afternoon of the day of Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden, waiting for cats with her son Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing at Christmas. December in my memory is white as Lapland, though there were no reindeers, but there were cats. Patient, cold and callous, our hands wrapped in socks, we waited to snowball the cats. Sleek. And long as jaguars and horrible whiskered spitting and snarling, they would slink and sidle over the white back garden walls, and the lynx eyed hunters, Jim and I, fur capped and moccasin trappers from Hudson Bay, off Mumbles Road, would <laughs> hurl our deadly snowballs at the greens of their eyes. The wise cats never Appeared. We were so still, Eskimo-footed, Arctic marksmen in the muffling silence of the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday, that we never heard Missus Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden. So it's it's back to our it's back to our podcast about cats. It is an and evil cat. People it, being evil to cats, and it
1: being a kind of a, a sort of a slightly acceptable thing. Yes, um, I love that the uh, the Hudson Bay off Mumbles Road, yes, <laughs> yeah, and the Eskimo-footed Arctic marksman, yes, that's, that's truly wonderful, isn't it? Yes, um, and I suppose that it's just one example of people being horrible to cats. We we talked about the one where loads of cats were were murdered in the French yes. Revolution. Yes,
0: um, Pri- prior to the French Revolution.
1: Prior to the French Revolution, that, yeah. that was a, sort of a, a it was it was a way of demonstrating early seventeen hundreds the cultural differences op- yeah, between yeah. between the wealthy and their pampered pets, yeah. and then these these kind of street rat Kids, yeah. essentially, yeah. Um, yeah. making the noises that right, like that. Yeah. 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 And um, historians and can be very,
0: can be very cat-like, catty. very catty. A, um, a, there was a big debate about the, um, the rise of the gentry. Yeah. Uh, and my former uh, supervisor, my supervisor, uh, Ralph Holbrook, tells me this tale about this, um, this seminar in, in Oxford with an open window and two of the sort of great sort of professors. Uh, who were debating this period, Tawny and somebody else, uh, who I can't remember off the top of my head at the moment, um, were sort of going at it, hammer and tongue, and sort of, you know, fighting each other in the way that, um, that David Starkey and Geoffrey Elton... Uh, did uh, about Henry VIII and the court. Uh, and then outside of the window, there was there was a hush, and outside of the window, there were two tomcats, like, fighting. <laughs> really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely going for each yeah, other. going yeah. for each other.
1: Well, I think one of the things that I like about the snow is also the... It, it goes in go a completely different direction here, but it's, it's snow as a preserver. Uh, history. So so we've talked about yes. snow and historians, we've talked about yep. uh, snow as a preserver for history and the
0: Scythians. Oh wonderful. Yeah. Um We saw that brilliant exhibition, didn't we, at the British Library?
1: Yes. We did. Absolutely. Which so, was
0: extraordinary. If you haven't been to see it and it's still on, uh you should go and you should definitely go and see it. Yeah. Um, and um, what's great is it's a Siberian culture
1: from thousands of years ago, and a lot of their burials have been immaculately preserved yep. in the Siberian permafrost. Um, and what I think one of the most remarkable things is the skin of the Scythians yep. and and you can see their tattoos yep. uh, and the vividness of the colour. The um, and I, the, the, an important part here is the remoteness. The fact it's in snowy, yep. freezing landscapes. They weren't grave robbers. It's not like it's in Sutton Hoo. No, you know, and it just. No every man and his dog wandering past these mounds that contain, contain a Viking ship. These Scythian burials, there are lots of them. Um, there are still tons yeah. of them out there which haven't been excavated. They gla- haven't been robbed. glacial
0: archaeology, isn't it? It's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, there were all sorts of things. I mean, the, the, the tattoos are fascinating. Uh, I think they found four or five bodies yeah. intact, covered with tattoos. And normally, you know, these are very, um, these are very cold climates that these people would have, would have lived in. So normally they'd have been covered in fur. So you you know ordinary people you know on a day to day basis wouldn't have seen these tattoos, but yet, as historians, we are able to 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 glimpse those and I think one of them one of the tattoos that survives is a sort of snarling tiger yeah um, so you know how we how we read that about about um you know the sort of warrior class, the sort of bravery of the warrior class. There's also a bag of cheese. Is there? That that Perishables. survived. Perishables, things like that, that have stayed in the you know the permafrost has preserved, um, and and portable stools. I mean, these were an itinerant people as well. So, if you could eat some of that Scythian cheese, what would you have it on? <laughs> <laughs> I think you would. You'd be very ill. Really? If you oh, don't you think, visa then you think does cheese last several thousand years? Cream cracker. I'm going for a straight cream cracker. A digestive, I think. A digestive. Or, or a, you know um, maybe a peppered water biscuit. Mm, very
1: good. Would be so very nice. Not only are there objects for us to look at, but what's really important is that the bodies of the objects have been, sorry, the bodies yeah. themselves, of the people themselves, have been preserved. And this links to something I'm becoming increasingly obsessed about, and that is um, DNA and Ooh. history. Um, nice. So my current series on BBC Four... that be Invasions? That's Invasions with an exclamation mark because it's quite light-hearted and wide-ranging. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I had my DNA tested to find out where I was from. What did it tell you? Well, um... Are you Viking? I am half Viking and I'm half Roman. And it's truly, truly extraordinary. Amazing. Yeah. So most people, um, as I understand it, I was told by the people we did the test with... um, their DNA, you can, you know, if you end up in England, it kind of you can trace these migration routes, and right. and, and they usually end up somewhere quite close to England. Yeah. Mine stop in I've got two, one of them stops in Rome, and the other one stops in Oslo.
0: Goodness me! Yeah,
1: and that means I have a direct Italian ancestor. It doesn't get kind of lost. I like that. I, I right. am, I'm properly Roman, basically. So I God, think it was Caesar. You're the-
0: and, You're then, and then half of
1: the best people. Well, the well, I'm Viking Roman do not. Viking mess. Roman. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. and the other half is I think it's I going to be
0: Harold Bluetooth. Um, That's why your Viking axe is on the wall, oh there. Yes, I made that behind you. Uh,
1: anyway, there's this lovely chap that was found in the Yukon territory of Canada. So, mm. an inhabitant of the Yukon Mountains, where it's very, very cold, and there's not much going on. And he was buried um, in in the in the ice. He was found um, wearing a cloak of gopher and squirrel skin. He's carrying a walking stick. Uh, which is interesting for our history of the lean, which we've written. We've written a paragraph on uh, a chapter from our book. We'll do yes. that. I think as a podcast. Anyway, carrying a walking stick. So he's a leaning. Leaning chap. Um, he's an iron knife and a spear thrower. He's about somewhere between three hundred and five hundred and fifty years old, which is. Not too old, which means you can actually get DNA out. Mm. I think that's that's the important point. Um, anyway, he was found to he was found that he shared DNA with no fewer than seventeen indigenous people living in that Yukon area of Canada, mm. which is wonderful. And they gave him a name, which was Coward. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. K W A D A Y Quaday Dan Siinchi, which means Very in my good. fluent Yukon, um, it means long ago person found. Um, which I think is wonderful it's a wonderful title and it makes me quite happy to be a historian to be able to talk yes. about all of these people long ago and that we can uncover them whether mm. we do it through books or whether we dig up their bodies or whatever but that's essentially what we do we're we trying to find and understand long mm. ago people
0: mm. Snow is an Archive
1: Snow as an Archive Yes Yeah. So it, it, yeah that's amazing isn't it It is good Oh I Great. think we're done I think we're done Let's leave it there That was, um, that was very fascinating Thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed what you've heard, please check out historyhit.com forward slash unexpected, where you've got all of our other fairly bonkers episodes. We're proud to be part of Dan Stowe's History Hit Network, so please check that out. Check out all of the other
0: brilliant shows that they do. Check us out on Twitter as well. You can follow me at James Daybell, and you can follow Histories of the Unexpected at UnexpectedPod. And I'm on
1: at Dr Sam Willis. Um, we'd love you to get in touch. So do please do that and listen again soon. Bye. Bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods